Welcome back to Wake Up with Nubian Tigers Talk, a podcast brought to you by a group of Black Princetonians where we talk about issues impacting our Black and Brown communities. I'm here today, as always, with my co-host, Ray Smalls. So how are we doing, Ray? I am doing the best I can <laughs> with, with all this flying and people now not wearing masks and yes, all yes. that stuff. But I'm wearing my mask, Michelle. It doesn't good, matter good, to me. Good. Please continue to wear your mask. I will. So, you know, Ray, uh, we've talked amongst ourselves a couple of times about all of these uh, mm. states that are banning um, the so-called mm -hmm. critical race theory bans. Mm -hmm. So, um, and we were wondering whether we should have a show on that. Yeah, and, and you know, we finally have gotten it together, especially with one of your, your old colleagues. And But, you know, in big picture thinking about this, Michelle, um, I was reading something in the Legal Defense Fund, and it mentioned that more than 25 states have introduced this type of legislation that could restrict or ban what students can learn and what teachers can teach about our nation's history. More than 66, believe it or not, anti-truth bills or pre-filed and more than 12 states have already passed versions of these bills. So it is out there and it is part of the political dynamics in the next upcoming elections. And if we don't begin to uh, deal with it, it's going to be more, it's going to be beyond our, our means. Yeah, it's a, it's a really uh, interesting issue. And the most recent attempt uh, to uh, muzzle what Black people can say about their own history. But today we're going to have uh, a special guest, my former colleague from the University of Florida, uh, Levin College of Law, Professor Kenneth B. Nunn, who's going to talk to us about the issue. Professor Nunn teaches criminal law, criminal procedure, African-American history and the law, and seminars on police brutality, race and crime, and cultural studies. Professor Nunn received the AB degree from Stanford University in 1980 and the JD degree from the University of California Berkeley School of Law in 1984. Before joining the University of Florida faculty in 1990, Professor Nunn was a public defender in San Francisco and at the Public Defender Service in Washington, DC. Professor Nunn employs a number of critical theories to explore the intersection of race and criminal justice. His writing has appeared in many law journals, and his research interests include African and African-centered thought, cultural studies, legal semiotics, and critical race theory. So welcome to the show, Professor Kenneth Nunn. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. So let's jump right into it. Uh, Florida was one of the states that jumped out early, banning the teaching of so-called critical race theory in grades K through 12. Could you please explain to our listeners exactly what critical race theory is? Well, I'm not sure, uh, Michelle, that I can say exactly what critical race theory is because I don't think anybody really knows. Uh, but what I can say is, generally speaking, is a uh, legal theory that says that uh, racism is systemic uh, and endemic in the legal system and in society at large. And so basically that's uh, sort of the, 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 you know, sort of basic definition of what it is. Now, as you know, being a law professor, there are a lot of flavors of critical race theory, none of which are taught in K through 12, right? So basically what we're talking about is using critical analysis to look at legal uh, you know, documents, mostly laws and cases, and talk about what their 
you know, positive aspects are and more likely their failings are when it comes to their discussion of race. And that's a theory and an approach uh, that's not even appropriate to use in, you know, K through 12, and is certainly not used at that level. But that's uh, sort of the, the basic uh, definition I would give. Uh, some of what they're doing is they're confusing, you know, long-term beliefs in institutional racism, for example, uh, systemic racism, uh, you know, that came out of sociology with uh, critical race theory, uh, which is uh, really a critical theory that came out of the, of, of the legal academy. Yeah, I've been telling people, if your kid is learning uh, critical race theory, they're a genius because they're seven years old and they're in law right, school. <laughs> right, exactly right. Right, right. that's exactly right. <laughs> so, uh, Kenneth, what do you think is driving these states to ban um, their, well, what's their version of critical race theory as far as you can tell? And what's driving them to try to ban that kind of material? Well, the, the, the issue, as I would say it, is, you know, my uh, father-in-law, who was Asa Hilliard, uh, used to always say when he gave talks uh, that the issue is not race, you know, so people would always like have, you know, like, you know, these uh, posters and stuff and they'd have a picture of him and it would say not race. It's not a race. It's always about culture. It's never about race. It's about culture or it's about politics. And the same thing is true here. It's really not about critical race theory. What it is about is white supremacy and sort of the ongoing struggle that uh, you know, people of color throughout the world have had uh, with an aggressive form of white supremacy over the years is rearing its ugly head again. Now, to some degree, it's a backlash to the Obama years when you know, it was at least there was some uh, white grievances that came about as a perceived, uh, you know, uh, sort of a, a amount of a black advance uh, advancement during those years, um, and so I think that part of it is related to that. Part of it is related to the whole Trump phenomenon. Uh, of course, phenom uh, Trump was a reaction to Obama as well, but you know, Trump had this. Uh, method of uh, speaking what, you know, things that everybody else was, was thinking about, but they didn't want to say. And so he kind of laid the groundwork for people, you know, just coming out with their white supremacy and being right, right. a lot more aggressive about it than they mm -hmm. were before and sort of, you know, kind of one upping one over the next over the next, you know, to see who could be, you know, kind of the most outspoken, you know, advocate of, of white interests. So, you know, we have that. Some of it has to do with Russian trolls. I was actually gonna write an article that was looking into some of the Russian philosophers that are, you know, sort of this, you know, core of the, uh, you know, the, the uh, Putin administration and, you know, that is popular in Russia and then consequently has become popular with the right wing here in the United States today. So there's sort of a global white supremacy that's happening. We have to see it as the emergence of global white supremacy today, because you can see the same thing happening in England, right? With the conservative party, you see the same thing happening in France mm -hmm. you know, with the recent elections. Uh, you know, you see this, you know, kind of muscular white supremacy 
exerting itself around the globe at this point in time. And I think that to some degree, what we're seeing happening in Florida is a, you know, uh, you know, a phenomenon that's related to that. Uh, so I think it's important not to see these things as isolated developments, but to look at them in terms of, of their connections. You know, Kenneth, this wasn't part of the, our questions, but when you referred to backlash, it made me think there was a huge backlash also when Professor Nicole Hannah-Jones' 1619 project came out. Right, that's right. And this that's was right. all this was all put together as one one big exactly. you know, so, episode. So the point is, is not critical race theory. What it is is we do not like black people talking about their history and talking about their accomplishments and sort of pushing back on this notion of white supremacy. They're like, we want to be in charge. We're happy we're in charge. We don't want to give up power to other people. And we don't want sort of the, the basis and fuel for resistance to white oppression being developed through either research and study and you know, uh, work that people are doing intellectually or through the way that they're teaching about things that people can use as tools to protect themselves from white supremacy. And that's and basically what- Yeah, and besides, we gave you the month of February. What more do you want? Right, that's right. <laughs> so, so that's, uh, if I can jump back in for a second, uh, sorry, Ray, that, that's very much connected to um, Florida recently banning some math books Correct. Right for the uh, right. for for elementary school because they said that the math books contained critical race theory. So what was going on there? So as I said, I, I think the real issue is that there's this backlash to perceived advances that African Americans have been making lately. Not just African Americans. Let's, let's say people of color have been making in terms of you know inclusion, in terms of diversity, in, in terms of uh, you know, wanting America to be a fair, more just society, and for there to be criticisms about things like slavery. Remember, just two years ago, we had, uh, you know, this George Floyd moment, right, where, and then people were pulling down statues of people, you know, Confederate uh, soldiers got pulled down, and, uh, you know, people who funded the slave trade got pulled down, slave traders got pulled down, even, even in, in Liverpool, England, different places around the world, we saw these, this manifestation. So what this is, is a reaction to all of that, but it took the, the shape of a moral panic amongst, you know, I, I, you know, I could pick suburban white you know, soccer moms, whatever, but it's not just that group. But just to say there's a there's a group of white Americans uh, that are conservative and Republicans, and they've uh, kind of grabbed onto this issue and started to run with it. And they're like, oh, okay, well, math books, you know, there's a there's some kind of obtuse mention of you know, emotional, social and emotional learning in there, or there's there's some kind of chart where they say race and racism, or there's there's something that talks about racial hierarchy or something like that. There's just these forbidden phrases that you shouldn't use, but really what it is, is these people grab this idea and they've gotten all excited about it. And they're looking, it's almost like in, in the, the, the anti-communist scare, the fifties where people were seeing communists you know, under every hat. 
you know, you look in every corner or under every desk and there's a communist there. And that is sort of the same thing. Now we got critical race theory everywhere. Uh, but I think that that's part of it. The other thing, though, is I read an interesting article that said that pointed out, and you know, Michelle, from your time in Florida, that you can't trust the Florida legislature to do anything uh, for any correct reason. There usually is a money yes. behind mm. And, yes. and money question is always about we're going to give this sweetheart deal to other conservative Republicans like ourselves who are all rich anyway, right? right. So it's all like right. it's all like the the NFL owners, right? You got a whole bunch of rich white guys who are political and social Neanderthals, uh, and the, the, you know just because they have their money, they can continue <laughs> to do it and they keep doing it, and that's how it is throughout the state of Florida. And when the Republicans are in control of the legislature, which has really been the case in the whole period of time that I've been uh, in the state, they're always cutting sweetheart deals to one group of Neanderthals or another. And so I read this article and it was about, well, there are only a couple of co uh, companies that are controlled by conservatives that write the, uh, publish the books that were approved. So to some extent, what it is, is using this, you know, kind of uh, moral panic moment as cover for them to do some things that they, you know, probably could not do uh, in the open if it wasn't for that. So I think that might have something to do with the focus on the math books as well. Well, that's interesting that you say that because, you know, somebody that's got politics always on his mind and, and a presidential election is Governor DeSantis, and he recently supported and encourage legislation that restricts education far beyond K through 12, Kenneth. So can you tell us uh, some more about that? Right, well, I think what that is, is, is at the, the, the front end, uh, the K through 12 restriction on critical race theory came from the State Board of Education. Now, of course, the governor was advocating for it and, and uh, you know, was, was pushing it uh, politically, but it was the State Board of Education that did that. Now. The legislature recently passed a law that's called HB7, um, and uh, the governor signed it. And what that says is there's restricted uh, categories that cannot be discussed uh, in a classroom. Um, and the, the categories don't seem to make a whole lot of sense, but they're the type of thing that, you know, from what I understand, they're they're uh, being generated by some sort of uh, think tank, conservative think tank. Uh, I'm not quite sure which one, but some conservative think tank has come up with this terminology and it's winding up in all of the legislation in states uh, that are adopting these kinds of policies like Georgia uh, and uh, Texas and probably others to come. Uh, but basically what it says is that it's that what it does is it defines discrimination in education a particular way. And what HB7 says is it shall be discrimination on the basis of race, color, national origin, or sex under this section uh, to promote any student or employee training or instruction that espouses, promotes, or compels such student to believe any of the following concepts. These are, these are the concepts that are problematic. Members of one race, color, national origin, or sex are morally superior to members of another race, color, national origin, or sex. I'm just going to say race just to make this go faster. 
A person by virtue of his or her race is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously. A person's moral character or status as either privileged or oppressed is necessarily determined by his or her race. Members of one race cannot and should not attempt to treat others without respect to race. That's a strange one if you ask. <laughs> what does that even yeah. mean? Well, what does that even mean? Yeah, good luck with that. You're telling me it's not a good idea to treat someone without respect to their race. Mm -hmm. It's basically telling you you have to be racist. But anyway, that's that's what it is. And then it says, uh, it says a, a, a person by virtue of his, his or her race bears responsibility for or should be discriminated against or receive adverse treatment because of actions committed in the past by others, mem other members of the same race. Okay, so that's a prohibited category of instruction. Can't talk about that. And then a person uh, by virtue of his or her race should be discriminated against or receive adverse treatment to achieve diversity, equity, or inclusion. And then finally, a person by virtue of his or her race bears personal responsibility for and must feel guilt, anguish, or other forms of psychological distress because of actions in which the person played no part committed in the past by other members of the same race. So now that one, and I would say probably all of these, but that one in particular just kind of gives away the fact that this is uh, sort of a, uh, a adoption of, say, the worldview of, you know, someone like Dinesh D'Souza or, mm -hmm. you know, some, yes. you know, kind of anti-Black uh, yeah. white militant from the 1990s or something like that. So it just kind of gives it away. You know, there's some kind of, you know, uh, you know, country club, <laughs> you know, Fox News kind of <laughs> attitude, into, you know, ideology that's at play there. But uh, but that's uh, basically what, uh, you know, what they're trying to do beyond K through 12. Mm -hmm. Now, as you can tell, there's a lot of problems with that. Right. There's a lot of problems with that. Um, you know, there, there are all kinds of definitional time yeah, bombs yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of what do those phrases mean, right? What does it mean when you say that something's inherently racist? You know, what does it mean to say that someone is morally superior? Uh, what does it mean to say that, it, you know, here's a phrase here, but a person by guilt, by virtue of his or her race uh, color, sex, or national origin bears personal responsibility for, and then there's, and must feel guilt, anguish, other forms of psychological distress. Well, who's going to decide what those terms mean, right? right? Is court, court going to have to have psychiatrists come in and say what psycho psychological distress is, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is in order to determine whether somebody's violated that law? And then in my case, I could teach my class and I could say, I could teach every white student in my class that you bear personal responsibility for actions committed in the past by other members of your race, as long as I don't say you have to feel guilty about it. Because that's the way it's played. It's played and must feel guilt. So I'm like, I can work with that. 
And, and you know, the Florida legislature has a long history of writing uh, legislation that makes no sense whatsoever. Mm, and right. that uh, often has to get reversed by the Supreme Court because they're just like, that doesn't make well, any sense. Well, that kind of jumps ahead, I guess, what uh, you wanted to talk about, you know, kind of what's the likelihood of success mm. of, of what, uh, you know, these, these efforts to, to shut down uh, black history. And that's, that's really what we're talking. We're talking about efforts to keep the truth from being taught. Because there's some people who feel, uh, you know, some some degree of angst about hearing the truth, so they don't want to hear it. Now, to me, that's so funny because back in the '90s when I started teaching, of course, you know, there was this, you know, uh, you know, there's this brouhaha about so-called Afrocentricity, and what the argument was is if. Uh, people came out and said, well, African-Americans, not African-Americans, but people uh, who are the, the uh, forebearers of Africans today were the ones that founded civilization in ancient Egypt. And the biggest critique about that was that's not true history. That's feel-good history. So now we go full circle and we have white people today saying they don't want truth taught Right. They want something that's going to make them feel good. Right. And that's that's enshrined in this law. Right. 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 So at the same time, you know, if you go up to uh, the Met Museum in New York, you go to mm -hmm. Brooklyn Museum in Brooklyn, they have exhibits today that basically have accepted the Afrocentric argument that African people created civilization, ancient, it's just out there. They're shaking out the job is being cited. I mean, they just put it there as a permanent exhibit in the Metropolitan Museum, stuff that was being denigrated in the 1990s. So maybe we'll, we'll you know, kind of get past this moment and we'll be able to deal with this as well. But it's just, you know, so, you know, strange to me to see how all that stuff uh, goes uh, full circle. So, but anyway, the point is, is that uh, I think there's a lot of problems with the law. If I were to teach the class, to be teaching that class, and I'm I'm on the verge of retirement, but if I was teaching that class, I wouldn't change a thing. I just teach my class. Um, you know, some of that is, you know, I'm like, okay, well, we'll see how far we can go. Let them sue me. Uh, but the other thing is. Uh, as I said, I think there, there are a lot of issues here. I think that there, there are problems with, uh, you know, the uh, vagueness of the statute. Mm. I think there are some constitutional problems that relate to, you know, control the content of speech. Uh, so I think that those are, are significant concerns in the statute. The only problem with that is that we have a, a Florida uh judiciary that's basically stacked with Republicans uh, and has been for years. Um, and you, you know now we have the 11th Circuit, uh, which has, I think it's three Trump appointed judges that are on it now, uh, it has always skewed conservative and now even more so. So, you know, very quickly disposed of the district court, court's opinion in a voting rights uh, case that came out of uh, the university, not the university, came out of the state of Florida. Um, so I don't know whether those uh, legal issues will be properly resolved 
uh, in favor of truth and you know academic freedom uh, going forward. But I do think there's there's a lot uh, that's there. So so now let me let me tell you guys another story uh, that might say something about what will happen in higher education as they begin to actually practice these things. So I started teaching a class back in the 1990s. It was called Race, Racism in America Law. Uh, then the, the at that time, uh, you know, it was on the, the uh, catalog, I guess, for one semester with that name. Then the dean came to me and said, well, you know, maybe you should take racism out. And so it became race in American law. <laughs> so I said, okay, whatever, you know. So, but I mentioned that because when I first started teaching my class, it was very popular. I had one of the largest rooms uh, in the law school. And uh, there were, you know, you know, I, actually I didn't have a hundred. I had probably 75, 75, 75 students in the class. And the vast majority of those students were, uh, were white students. So I taught the class, I was teaching the class for a while and I had one of these conservative white students come to my class. And he told me, he said, you know, uh, I really like your class. I said, really? He said, yeah. He says, I didn't think I was gonna like it. I said, well, why'd you take it? He says, well, I wanted to see what you were doing. So we, 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 all of us, we came to keep an eye on you. We wanted to spy on you. I said, really? He said, yeah. So they, they came to, to spy on me, liked what they saw, liked it so much that for about a decade there, whenever there was some, you know, white fraternity or sorority that wanted to do some discussion of race or, you know, the student government, which is basically white fraternities and sororities wanted to do a discussion on race, they'd ask me to come moderate their discussion. You know, I was quite busy doing these little moderation things on campus. And it was all because they didn't have any other platform or you know, environment where they could sit down with people and discuss things that they had questions about that they didn't understand, that they'd never thought about before with people of color. And to hear the other side of the, of the coin mm -hmm. or the other perspectives that people of color had. And my class gave them the ability to do it and they actually liked it. So I, I think that, uh, you know, we'll see where this goes, but I, you know, I, there may be uh, a level of acceptance at the uh, higher education level. Uh, maybe the parents of kids in K through 12 aren't gonna like it, but, you know, the students might not be as upset about it um, as, uh, you know, some quarters of the conservative uh, political, uh, you know, movement is. Well, Kenneth, we, we, uh, Kenneth yeah. doesn't mention that many of our students uh, at Florida had never seen a black person in a position mm. of authority before mm -hmm. they came to the law school. They had never seen a black person who was not either a maid or a gardener or a janitor. Right, uh, right, and so when they right. walked into our classrooms and saw us, it was often a shock for them. So that's the context in which he's talking about these kids coming mm -hmm. to his class to keep an eye on. Well, <laughs> Kenneth and, and Michelle, let's assume that 
most of those, uh, most of your former students are not advocates in the legislature right now, right? Some of them are. Oh, them are. well, well, fantastic then. But most, yeah. you know, Kenneth, most of the free speech organizations have been strangely silent on these CRT bans, critical race yeah. theory bans. Yeah. Why do you think that is? And how does one get the word out there? Right. Well, uh, I'm going to use an analogy here. And, um, you know, most of the gun rights organizations that I'm familiar with had nothing to say about Philando Castile when he was shot for carrying a gun uh, that he was entitled to carry or the the uh, person in, whose name I don't remember who was shot in Walmart. Remember, there was a toy gun. He was he was uh, uh, observing in Walmart and he was shot by the police. No one talked about that. And these gun rights organizations have not been uh, present in that whole uh, debate. So I don't expect to see uh, that, uh, you know, many organizations that care about, you know, freedom of speech or whatever are going to step forward uh, to assist us in this point. But, you know, I, I don't, I just think we, that those of us who are committed to social advancement and who are committed to what I say, rights of African descended people in America and the world, we just got to do what we have to do. We can't be distracted by, you know, what's really just a moral panic for conservative white folks. They have decided that this issue is what they want to focus on now. And then they're going to move on to something else in a little bit later. They'll just say, okay, well, well now we're done with that. We're going to go after social emotional learning, or we're going to do this, or we're going to do, they're going to find the next boogie person uh, to go after. Uh, so what we have to do is it's important for us to make sure our story is told, you know, and in our writing and in our teaching and in our public you know, appearances and things, we have to make sure that the story of our people is not smashed out because that's just what, you know, imperial power always wants to do, you know? And when, when we were engaging, those of us who are not white, you know, we engaged with white supremacy, usually in a colonial or slavery context where basically they were always saying, you can't tell your story. You know, it's always been a struggle to tell our story. So we just have to keep telling our story. It has nothing to do with critical race theory, whether we use that or not. Uh, but, you know, the truth is the truth. And, you know, I'm confident that at the end of the day, the truth will out. So, so Kenneth, um, before we uh, sort of round this out, um, I, I do feel it's important for uh, folks to know this is not the first time there's been an attack on our ability to tell our stories. So can you, do you have any idea of uh, like previous efforts to suppress uh, the telling of black history, particularly like during the civil rights uh, movement or any time uh, that you can right. think of? Well, you know, the, the, the um, you know, the, probably the closest analogy is when you saw that people who were engaged in the civil rights struggle during the 1950s in 1960s were labeled as communists, right? So that was kind of the hot button issue of the day. So, you know, you couldn't talk about black rights. You couldn't talk about black liberation. You couldn't talk about uh, anti-colonialism. You couldn't talk about any of those things except through a West versus East lens, you know, US versus Russia lens. Uh, and so you had to pick a side on what side you're on. And if you were in favor of black people, you weren't on the right side. 
So that's probably the biggest example. But, you know, like I said, you know, it, it certainly played out in the colonial context that if you were in favor of African liberation and you were living in Europe and to a lesser extent, the United States, you couldn't advocate freedom uh, back home. You couldn't talk about that. And so I think that, uh, you know, this has been an ongoing thing, you know, where, you know, you don't want that, you know, any of that to be discussed. Just in the United States, you know, when we were enslaved, you know, there wasn't like an effort for us to learn. We weren't taught our own culture. We weren't taught our own religion. We weren't mm -hmm. taught, you know, the, uh, you know, kind of, uh, kind of social practices that we had brought with us from Mother Africa that, believe it or not, stayed with us, but we had to change them in some kind of, you know, context so that we wouldn't know what they were, right? So a lot of the things that we do in the church and the Black church today, uh, which is what makes it the Black church, are things that are African in character, you know? So, you know, people get the Holy Ghost, you know, they're getting the Holy Ghost and, you know, uh, you know, they're, uh, uh, you know, religions in West Africa, they're doing the same thing. Uh, we call it something and we hide it under something else or, you know, all this stuff would kind of play with the different, you know, saints and all of that. I mean, you know, so, uh, you know, they call it syncretic, but basically what that is, is trying to hide stuff from an oppressive society so that you won't get penalized for doing uh, stuff that comes natural to you. Yeah. And, and, and just from the law perspective too, there was the whole um, uh, legislation in many of the Southern states where it was actually against the law to teach a slave how to read or write right. so that right. they wouldn't be capable right. of, of learning anything. Mm -hmm. so. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and if, if you did learn something, they wanted you to learn things that made you amenable to being used uh, conform. by, by yeah. the existing system, right? right. Yeah. And that's what this law is. They want they mm -hmm. want people to learn reading, writing, arithmetic. You know, don't think. We don't want you to think. We want right. you to be able to. We don't want you to have enough information that you can think for yourself, or that right. you can start institutions that are going to help your community. Right. right. What we want you to do is learn enough information so we can use you. You work for us. You know. I mean, same kind of thing. And and say, just media comes up all the time. Yes. Hair. Right. You can't wear your hair the mm -hmm. way that, you know, my sister, Michelle Jacobs, wears her hair. I mean, you're right. seeing more right. examples of that today. But that mm -hmm. was because of struggle. People had to fight to get to that point. Mm -hmm. But you couldn't wear your own hair to be on on TV right. and on national TV. I mean, I yet to see you, you guys may see more than I do, but I haven't seen a black woman uh, who wears natural hair. I mean, I've seen some extensions and I've seen that one sister in CNN had the braids that she wore. But other than that, I don't see any anything uh, at the national level, certainly not the broadcast networks. Listen, yeah. in, the, in the 60s, when Melba Tolliver wore her hair natural, that was, I mean, that was a huge, huge thing, not yeah, just for the yeah. East Coast, but all across the country. No, so it's, it's, the, it's, a, it's, it's of the same piece, you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're mm -hmm. fighting the same struggle against white supremacy as we've always fought. Right. Um, and, you know, I guess there are going to be, you know, ebbs and flows in that struggle. There's going to be times when we're more successful than others. 
Uh, but I, I think it's important to tell your listeners that uh, we just have to keep going and not to, not to feel discouraged because uh, in this particular political moment, people are, are, are doing this form of political theater. It, it, it's um, ironic on so many levels that um, when we trace the history between the anti-communist uh, attempts to restrict speech to today, that the conservatives today are actually aligned with the people who are actually communists. <laughs> I know it's, just, it's so crazy. And the thing that, you know, I think the thing that, uh, this is why I was thinking of writing that piece about it, because I think the thing that gets me the most is that there are, you know, I've been, I've been listening to uh, some podcasts and some broadcasts from uh, some Black intellectuals. And some of them still want to make this, you know, they're like pro-Russia for the Ukrainian war and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, you got to realize that Russia may have been on our side when we're talking about the Scottsboro boys case, you know, uh, you know, maybe they were on the, the, the right. side because they had their own, you know, interests that they were they were interested in pursuing mm -hmm. in in the 1940s. But and 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 they're certainly not now. No, you know, and I, I'm I, that's one of the things I I think is eye opening about all of this is that yeah, you know, maybe uh, you know uh, Marxist Leninists may have been concerned about race and racism, but they just dropped that like a hot potato. Uh, once they decided that their own interests were were better for them, that yep. teaches us something about what the Chinese are doing in Africa today. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed. Mm. Um, mm. Now, before I get to the wrap up question, you had mentioned um, uh, uh, the think tanks uh, putting forward the agenda. So I just want to tell you that that research has been done, and um, there are at least three. Uh, mm -hmm. think tanks that have been identified with the organized push to ban these so-called CRT bands. And two of them are the Charles Koch Foundation and mm -hmm. a think tank called the Manhattan Institute. Mm -hmm. So uh, these things do exist and it is an organized attempt mm -hmm. to get this one philosophy pushed throughout as many states as they can. So I just wanted well, to- Well, you know, that's, that's great. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Michelle it brings up another thought that I have from time to time. And, you know, I, as a black middle-class person, uh, and I have to say uh, upper middle-class person as probably several of your list listeners are, you know, I, I raised a, uh, a daughter and I should say daughters uh, who are conscious, aware, woke, if you want to use that phrase. And so, you know, we have this conversation some point about class. And they're like, well, you know, dad, you know, we need to be down with the people and all this kind of stuff. And how are you being down with the people when you go on, you know, on vacation to these, you know, remote locations, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, well, do you like going on vacation uh, or not? You know, you can stay home. But anyway, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, but my, the point here is that if you look at what's going on, right, critical theory in general, critical race theory, is being proved accurate by what we see happening. Yes. Because what we see happening is that a very small elite of white people who have ungodly amounts of money 
are creating these think tanks and taking these ideas and seeding them into society and driving large communities of people to operate against their own interests because of the ideas that they've seeded with the money that they have. One of our problems as a community in resistance is that we don't have the resources to be able to pull together think tanks and uh, you know, to unify in our message and to you know, be on the offensive in terms of getting things out there. Now, it, a lot of it for, you know, you know, we're just so creative as a people, you know, we're always coming up with new phrases and new ideas and new social and all this that's driving the culture in ways that aren't planned, but we're driving it anyway. But, you know, I think that there's some value to, you know, having a, a wealthy person, you know, we got, I guess we do have a few billionaires, but they're not doing this. You know, that's where we need to be focusing our energy and our time. I think yeah. those of us who yeah. have, have mm -hmm. those kind of resources. That, that's an excellent point, Kenneth. And before uh, to wrap up, we always ask our guests if there's um, any last words they want to leave with our listening audience. What, like, what, what do you want them to absolutely walk away with at the end of this? What, what I, I want them to walk away with is I used to be, when I was in high school, I used to be in ROTC. My father was in the military, so I like to study uh, military uh, strategy and tactics. So there's something called a redoubt in uh, military strategy. And what a redoubt is, is that's like a wall or a hill or something. Like if you have a castle and you, you got the wall that goes in the castle, you build a wall a little bit farther out. Or you put another castle, a little castlelet, you know, that's a little bit farther out. And the whole purpose of that is degrade the attack that's coming to you. So you, you, you want them to say, you know, you know, you got a thousand soldiers out there, out there attacking your position. You know, they're going to get to you eventually, but you want them to be down to about 300, 400 by the time they get to you. So what, what we have to realize is that when white people start talking about things like critical race theory or you know, attacking Black Lives Matter or whatever. All these things are redoubts that they're doing. And what they're trying to do is get us to rush to the defense of that and, and sort of break down our defense of the core. Mm. And so what we should not do is we should not go back and forth from these one issue to the next issue that white folks have put on the table. We need to be always be thinking about the most important issue is white supremacy is our enemy, black unity and, uh, you know, growth and development is, you know, our core concern. And as long as we're doing that, let them do what they're going to do. Let them change whatever curriculum they're going to change. As we need to teach the truth. We need to make sure that we have institutions in place to make sure that our children get the, the truth, hope that we still have public schools where the truth can get out to people at large. But, you know, those are our core concerns and we need to be focused on that. Yeah, those are excellent words to leave with our audience. Mm -hmm. um, we can't know, let Ray them retire, Michelle. 
Yeah, let him retire. <laughs> no, no, he needs to retire, right? Because he needs to be free. To, yeah, uh, yes, to, run, to run for office. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> to get that information out, right? You need right. to be free to run for office, Kenneth. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I don't know about run for office, but what I what I do want to do is, and Michelle and I, I'm sure she's doing this now, and we've talked about it. You know, there are things that are happening in our community that are important. You know, yeah. there, there's a whole new generation of, of thinkers and, you know, activists who are coming through who, you know, I mean, they, they, they need to know what happened before. They need to know the kind of mistakes. And Lord knows I made plenty. They need to know the kind of mistakes that people of my generation made and, right. and how to avoid that. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. You know, I'm, I've, I've got a lot of possibilities of things that I can work with. I'm looking forward to doing that. And not having to worry about, you know, putting food on the table. Excellent. Kenneth, it's good to see you. <laughs> it's only been four months, but I feel like it's uh, much longer than that. But it's good to see you. And thank you so that, much. Yeah, my pleasure, and my pleasure to meet you, Kenneth. And it's been my pleasure to be on the program. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, download this on my, uh, my uh, uh, podcast app. Uh, and try and listen to it. I won't listen to myself because I hate the way I sound. <laughs> no, uh, you sound but, great, bro. <laughs> but, but you guys are doing a, a great job, and I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed what you heard today, visit our website, NubianTigersPodcast.com. In addition to the podcast, we also post a resource page for each subject to provide additional sources of information. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Nubian Tigers, written as one word. We're also on YouTube on the Nubian Tigers podcast channel. Our podcast is hosted by Anchor FM, but if you have a favorite podcast app, we're probably on it. Just look for the Nubian Tigers talk. Looking forward to sharing some knowledge with you next time. Wake up, wake up, wake up.